It's already the reserve currency of the internet, which is a global phenomenon. So it's already the reserve currency of the digital world. It's already won. Bitcoin has won. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And this week, we're kicking off with Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when Exodus reached out, they said, Pete, we want to sponsor the show. I was like, well, okay, that's fine. But I've got to play with this. So I did. A little, a little play with the app both on the desktop and the mobile. And you know what? They crushed it. That's why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends, and my family. Now, the Exodus desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. Make sure you check it out yourself at exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And next up, we have Casa, the safest way for you to store your badass Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks. There are way too many ways for you to lose your Bitcoin or have it stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets ones which you get to distribute into different locations, and that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a Casa customer for over a year. You can drop me an email or a DM on Twitter. I will tell you about my experience. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. If you want to find out more, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S, C-A-S-A. Next up, we have my friends at sportsbet.io, the very, very best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin. And with the Olympics over, all eyes are back on football. I cannot wait. It's great to have fans back in the stadium. It was kind of weird last year. But listen, I'm going to be making some bets. I obviously think Liverpool are going to win. I obviously are going to be betting against Tottenham because they're ridiculous. So, very exciting. But if you want to check this out, Sportsbet.io always have a range of things available for you. They don't just have football. They have tennis and motorsports and esports and all kinds of crazy things. And they always have a range of promotions available for new customers. So if you want to check them out, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Hoddle, man. We are scraping the fucking barrel this month. <laughs> scraping the barrel. I know. I mean, isn't this guy half a shitcoiner? I mean, what's Dude, up? Like, I thought this literally. wasn't a shitcoin podcast. Ben and Danny went through everyone. And I don't know what was going on this month. They were like, everyone they asked, they were like, no, holiday, busy, can't do it. So literally all we had left was fucking Jason Williams. Yeah, you know, and I was reading recently, you're getting back into mining. So should we call like uh, some interventionalists? Are you back on drugs or anything? <laughs> Fuck, you lost all your money doing that last time. Oh, he's come out firing. Like, we were just joking, man. We were just like fucking with you. And you you have to like actually like hurt my feelings. No, I read that. I was like, I spit my coffee all over my Porsche. I'm going to send you the cleaning bill. Jesus, man. So what are you, what, what are you mining? What is, what is this mining endeavor? You're doing? Up, man. No, seriously. What, like, see, and this is the problem. Like, uh, Americans don't know the difference between uh, banter and just being mean. And you're just, you're no, just straight being no, mean now. That's funny to us. It's funny to us. <laughs> Listen, why the fuck have you both got sunglasses on? Do I need sunglasses? Yeah, get two shades, yeah. bro. You got to wear What's shades. Up? Yeah, you're the There you good. go. There you go. 
Hold on, let me Peter, how, how, are you, how are you feeling, by the way? Dude, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling strong. My back's fixed. Uh, all those weirdos sending me a book to read saying, look, if you read this book, your back will get better. Like, absolute bullshit. Oh, I read the book oh, and I felt the, the same. Well, it's Steve Joseph, Sarno. Joseph, yeah, Sarno. Sarno's book on, right. uh, like, it's all in your mind. The back pain was yeah. in your mind. Bro, I had, I had a, I had my, my L5S1 is out. It's still out to this day because uh, I had a snowboarding accident. You know, it's an acute thing. And people were telling me to read that book. I was like, bro, I didn't like imagine my fucking snowboarding accident. Like I crashed into the fucking jump. You know what I mean? Like my shit's fucked up. Yeah. So I think what it is, I think the deal is with that book. Sometimes like you're, if you've got like a herniated disc over time, your back heals. And I think some people during the time of reading that book, their back heals and they think it's the book, but it doesn't, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't just by like training your mind, have a like a protruding disc that's protrude, protruding onto your uh, nerves just suddenly pop back in. You need fucking surgery. And I had surgery and yes, I woke up within three hours and I was fixed. I should have done it ages ago, man. Ages ago. Peter, what were the what were the symptoms that you had? I'm just interested. Like, did you have pain consistent pain down your leg? Did it feel like fire? Like was it weakness? What what was going on? It changed. So the first time I herniated it was about a year ago and I was in the gym and I found out why it herniated. Basically I I went to pick up a bottle of water and it just popped. And it turns out the way you tend to herniate a disc is you bend forward at an angle. So you're kind of like, not only you, you bend in the spine, but you're twisting it. And that's what tends to do it. And because my bottle was to the right, that's how I did it. And and I I couldn't properly walk. I, I kind of had to get kind of help to my car. I got home and I was kind of okay. And then the next day was fucked. I could not put any weight on my left foot. Just, it was agony. Uh and then over the space of like a week, that was okay and I could walk it off. Or if I got on the um, inversion board, the pain would go. Uh, and then so and then I was pretty much back training within like three weeks and I was fine. And then within a month it went again, And but this time it never healed. It just, it hurt for a while and then it was just annoying. I couldn't bend over properly and whatever. And so I got the uh, MRI scan and it herniated. What happened was when I was away, I was at the when I was at the India 500 and I was flying back. I woke up that morning, and my leg just kind of felt weird, just like a, a really soft pain, but weird. And it gradually got worse and worse, and it got to the point where it was like a hot poker being yammed in the back of my leg, and I couldn't sit down. I could stand up when I was fine, I lay down, when I was fine, but I, I could not sit down. And the pain was so bad at one point. I was on tramadol, diazepam, and uh, another muscle relaxant. And they weren't even getting rid of the pain. And there were certain things I was doing. I was like, honestly, it's the worst pain of my life. It was fucking awful. And then I had the operation. I woke up. I was instantly better. Instantly. Incredible. And Hoddle, have you had surgery yet on your back no, or no? I'm not a pussy like Peter is. I just deal with it like cut. a man. Yeah. Your status cucks have a I just surgery. deal with it like a man, bro. You know? Yeah. Because I think I was one of the people who recommended Sarno's book, actually. You know, because uh, I'm a avoid surgery at Oops. all costs. No, 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 no. Look, uh, I'm an avoid surgery at all costs. So, look, you know, it, it just didn't work for you. But, yeah, but you you're, know, like, you're, you're healthy as fuck, man. You've trained your whole life. I mean, look at you. You're 74 years old. You look great. <laughs> you know what's so funny? Peter, uh, I, before Ben Askren fought Jake Paul, there was uh, – you know, we were kind of playing around with that. I was going to go watch the fight. And out of nowhere, Peter challenged me to fight. And we had never really met. I've never seen him in person or anything like that. And then he, like, DMs me because I was like, yeah, I'll fight you. 
Because I'm just, I, you know, I was just like, fucking whatever. And um, Peter's like, hey, man, how tall are you? I'm like, ah, I'm 6'1", like 200 pounds, something like that. And <laughs> Peter's mood changed a little bit. He said he had this back problem, and that was the end of it. So. Dude, I did have a back problem. I'd, I'd fuck you up, honestly. I'm from Bedford. I don't want to fight. Peter, yeah, Peter have you ever you been in a fight? Have you ever been in a fight? I've been in a few fights. When? Man. When was the last fight you were in? Uh, last fight I was in, uh, I was 14, and there's, okay. we used to play this time. game called, we used to play this game Bulldog in school, we had to run past people, and this one guy was a dick, so I had a, he, he won, um, but we had a fight. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not into fighting, I'm just bullshitting with you. It's because, because I'd fuck you up. <laughs> I can't oh, actually I see, I can't see, why are we wearing sunglasses? I fucking can't see. Because we're cool, because we're cool, man. <laughs> Yeah, and, and mine are for computer glare. So you know, mine are Same. special uh, Pit Viper computer glare glasses. These are so these are blue blockers, you know, because that's of, right. Yeah, yeah, we're professionals here. Peter. Yeah, totally. My uh, my challenging you to a fight was British humor. I was never actually going to fight you. <laughs> I was trying to arrange it. I thought it'd be a nice spectacle. We could we could go hang out, have some beers, fight, and then go have some beers. Weren't you, fight. Jason? Weren't you going to fight a uh, notorious Twitter troll, Dieter Bob, at one? <laughs> No, it never. It never got to that. I, I actually like Dieter a lot. I, I, I would even say what? this: if Dieter, if Dieter and I met, no, no, I'm telling you, if Dieter and I met, we'd be best friends. No, you wouldn't. That guy has literally no redeeming qualities. Zero. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I I'd like to do reenact a, mel- a moment between he and Hoddle if you'd entertain me, because Hoddle's an actor, and I'd like to be Dieter Bob. Can can we do that for a second? I I I thoroughly enjoyed the debate between Hoddle and Dieter. That was on Twitter Space. It was good. Did it you, was good. Did you catch that, Peter? So, some I people came have in called the, it the high the high point of Twitter Spaces. You know that it was uh you know the president of El Salvador like that was pretty good, but this one just w- took it to the next level. You know. Well, without yeah. the president one, I don't think your one would have happened because there wouldn't have been an incentive. That's right. He was a good opening act for us. That's true. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So wait, is he banned? He's banned from from Twitter, Twitter Spaces. Yes, we're all we all got banned from Twitter Spaces after that Twitter after that debate. Um, Hold which, on, you, know, you can get banned from Twitter Spaces. You can get banned from just Spaces. Yeah, apparently. So everybody who participated in that debate uh, got banned for the most part because Twitter transcribes it in real time. They apply the same algorithms to it, and we were using some very choice language with each other. Uh, <laughs> I was in that one, yeah. Stony. That's right. Was yeah, that Stony was going. Stony was going after you for oh, being yeah. uh, for being a sellout and a cuck. You know all that. The usual. Yeah, yeah. he. But he's he he's kind of um. He needs like it'd be interesting to talk to him if he could uh, articulate himself and control himself. But he just can't control himself. He just wants to yell. There's no actual like discussion. At an intellectual level, it's just like, like this, yeah. I like like angry rabid dog, wanting a treat and just getting fucked off because he can't get it. It's very strange. Hey, sh- should we actually talk about Bitcoin on this hangout? Uh, sometimes I read the YouTube comments and people are like, "This was fucking pointless. This was what is this stupid shit?" Like I, was, I came like, here to learn about Bitcoin. Dude, I make thirteen shows a month. They can just skip one. Uh, actually, I tell you one thing: we can talk <laughs> about Bitcoin is that you two have something in common, in that you both. Uh, in the last year, I've made donations to my Bitcoin stack. So I just want to say thank you for the Bitcoin you've both given me. You're both fucking terrible at betting. Hoddle's about to give me another half of Bitcoin. Thank you again. No, you're, 
that that bet I feel very confident about. I'm very confident that we're going to be over 300k by the end of the year. I mean, Which this train has no brakes, people. It has no brakes. Bro, I don't think I've ever won a bet with Peter, actually, like being honest. Like there's been three or four bets. I just continue to send him Bitcoin. I've, I haven't lost a bet yet, but I've got one I'm, I think I'm going to lose. There's, I think I, there's a chance I lose my bet to Rao Powell. Uh, that, I think it's uh, pronounced RuPaul, but uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, my bet with him is that Bitcoin will outperform ETH uh, and we bet it was about 0.032, and I think, what is it now, about 0.058, and that's for November. I I think I'm going to lose that one, but I'll just pay for that with um, your money, Hoddle. No, don't worry, because I'm taking my half a coin back, baby. Although, (laughs) Willie Wu was fucking me. Willie Wu was on this show being like, yeah, we're definitely going to 300K, and then I listened to his most recent pod, and he was like, yeah, 162. I was like, what the fuck, Willie? That's a 50% (laughs) reduction, bro. You got to stay the course. But he, no, nah, he has what, a model. What is, it has tolerance. Yeah. Blah blah blah. What What is your bet that you're that you have with Peter right now, Hoddle? So, if Bitcoin goes above three hundred or above before the end of the year, I win. If Bitcoin does not go above three hundred, Peter wins. Yeah. No, I've I've bought out of the money calls two hundred fifty thousand. I think I, I have them, so I'm there with you, man. That's Let's properly go. bullish. That's properly bullish, yeah, right there. Right. Peter, why are you such I'm a bear? Sorry. Why are you such a bear? I'm not a bear. I'm a realist. And I like That's taking your bear. money. That's what bears say. That's what bears say. Oh, real bear. I'm, bullish on, t- I'm real bullish on taking uh, half a Bitcoin off you every year. Don't worry. I, you're not going to get it by the end of the year. People forget. People forget how fucking fast this thing rises. Like, this is not a linear progression. This is exponential growth. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. And in two months... We can, we can 10x. Like anything can happen and will happen. And you should fucking count on it. Like always count on being surprised. The fact that like the consensus view is that, oh, Bitcoin's going to 150K lets me know that's not going to fucking happen because you're all going to be wrong as you always are. It's either we're going to stay at 30K and we're all going to be desperately wrong or we're going to 300 plus. Like there is no in between. 150, what is this mushy middle? Bitcoin doesn't do like compromises and middle grounds. Like it's not going to happen. I mean, 290 would would suck a lot of balls. <laughs> that would suck so hard. I would love on New Year's Eve to see it hit 299.82. And then keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and then, it's and, terrible. Then, and then as like 10 minutes past midnight, it goes to like 400. Uh, I have to stop. Then, I have to stop making Bitcoin bets. I really do. Because no I matter your, what, it's, you know. I take your half a Bitcoin and I, uh, you know, because you paid the deposit for the Aston, I could take that other half and pay off the car. Because if I had to pay you at two ninety, and I'm basically paying you like what, like one hundred and forty five thousand dollars. Like, yeah, that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's about my that's about my outstanding yeah. payment on the Aston. But and the, then the I'm nice just thing is, like, you a Mercedes. Like every time I get in that car, I think of you. <laughs> it's better than being in the bath. <laughs> You're gonna lose. Yeah. I mean, so this is a moot point, you know. You've already yeah. lost, you know. We will see. We will see, man. Anyway, how you been, Hodo? You well? Good. Yeah, I'm just chilling. Yeah, Jason, how you yeah. doing? Uh, yeah, d- doing good. I spent the last two hours talking to Hodel before he came on here. So we've been, uh, you know, trying to convince people that buying homes uh, and paying them off is uh, is kind of a loser move. It's kind of an antiquated strategy, in my opinion. You know, I look at like homes as a liability and 
people, the majority of people we were talking to still feel like homes are an investment. You know, there's something that they're, you know, driven to own and they're driven to pay off and uh, they don't understand the long-term liabilities and yeah, the I was, fact that I mean, you're still renting it after you pay it off. So I was telling the story about, you know, all my neighbors, uh, you know, everybody's home values are up 30, 40% everybody thinks they're a genius um, because they bought in this neighborhood and they've all convinced themselves like we live in a hot neighborhood, not, you know, not <laughs> taking into consideration the fact that everyone's home value is up 30% year over year. And every time I, I bring that up with them, they, they just kind of gloss right over it. It goes right into the denial pile and they just go, yeah, well, oh, well, uh, you know, anyway, we're, we're all rich. It's great. I'm like, but you're not, uh, it's a trick. It's, it's fake. If you have to go get a new house or a new dwelling, which Jason says, and I agree with him, is a liability because you have like tremendous costs associated with the upkeep of those properties. Um, you know, you're, you're breaking even at best, right? At best, unless you want to move to a lower cost uh, of living area of the country, in which case you could have done that last year and it would have been the same. So you, you've not, you're not coming out ahead in this. Like inflation is this trick that makes everybody think they're, they're getting wealthier and, and really you're just running in place. It's, it's incredibly insidious. One of the things issues we have in the in the UK with housing, especially in a place like Bedford, is that that's all well and good, but we don't have a good supply of rentals above a certain level. Like if you want to rent a a, a flat, like a one bed, two bed flat, even a small house, there's not a problem. But if you want like a four bed house for a family with a garden, there isn't a big supply. It's pretty much an entirely market for buying and taking out a mortgage. It's not like the US where a lot of people rent anyway. So you you can go and rent big properties in most those places or you know a decent family size like a, you can't rent a decent family size home somewhere like this um and also the other thing is like the the rental the cost of rent somewhere is usually very similar to the cost of a mortgage anyway like it's, you know it's in a place like bedford if you wanted to buy say a four bed house your your mortgage is going to be like 12 to 1500 pound a month if you if they did have rentals available it's still going to be about 12 to 1500 pound a month so you know, in some some ways, you might as well buy the property and and pay off a mortgage, and you you are getting an asset out of it. Well, I've heard also that you guys don't have as uh, robust of a refinancing market as we do here in America. So in America, people like are constantly refinancing their homes. And I've heard you get worse deals uh, across the pond, etc. It's not people do remortgage. It's not a big thing, right? It's not a yeah, it's not a big thing. Most people buy a house and then 10 years in, their salary's gone up a bit, then they up... Yeah, most people go through, like, two, three houses, I think. I mean, I'm in my second one I've owned. If if I buy another one, that's likely the home, be the last home I buy. Yeah, but are you, are you buying them or are you taking a mortgage out on them? I consider it the same thing. I'm buying it, but, like, with a mortgage. Yeah, I... I yeah, see, I, I don't really consider it the same thing. I, I mean, you, you do... You're working to buy it, but the bank owns it. You're, you're, you know, in my opinion. So, like again, I think that's a smarter way to go. But it's not. It's you don't own it. Like you don't own a home. You're not a homeowner. Like that. Well, no, just, I do. I, I own it because I can sell it at any point I want. But I, if I miss out, if I miss my payments, I can't afford to keep it anymore. Then the bank can take it. Like they have. You don't pay uh, your taxes. Right to- homeowners association fees, liens against it, um, and not in. I'm not so sure that there aren't some structures around selling it too. Like you can sell it however you want. Yeah, pretty much. The, 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 most of the structures around, if you want to extend, we have a thing. Um, you have to get like approval from local council. It takes forever. Um, 
because they want to follow. Yeah, see, here in the United States, that's not the case. Like, if you were if you were selling the property and someone needed a mortgage, the property has to be in a certain condition to be purchased. There's there's just all this structure around it. So, if you were someone who deferred maintenance and say the roof, the integrity of the roof wasn't right, or there was something wrong, like you could get some severe penalties, like to something that you own. Yeah, but I mean, we it's just it's we just do a survey, so you have to have something a survey done. Someone has to, like a professional, has to come around and do a survey, and that will tell you if there's you know, rot or damp or a problem with the roof. And then, um, then it's your choice if you want to buy it and fix it, or if you turn around and say, "Look, well, we're gonna, you know, there's a damp issue. It's going to cost ten thousand. We've offered you five hundred thousand. We'll now offer you four ninety. Right, and then it's repaired. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I just again, my my perspective is if you're going to try to select. A, a property like this, take a mortgage, uh, don't go out and buy it. I think it's just dead money. Like in, in my opinion, it's just dead money. It's it's highly illiquid unless you take a second mortgage and pull it out. At least, you know, here. I, I'm I'm surprised to hear that because I, I assumed that the stigma around renting um, was less in Europe than it is here in the United States. There isn't really a stigma around renting. It's just it's just a thing. Most people just want to own a home. It's that thing. They think about, oh, if I buy a home, you know, that's an asset I have. I'll take out a 25-year mortgage. Say if you buy a 30, like, that'll take you to 55. And then maybe like five years later, you take out another 25-year mortgage on a bigger home. And then hopefully it's paid off by the time you retire. So you've got no mortgage payments or no rent. And if you really need it, you can sell it. A lot of people tend to downsize when the kids move out. So maybe they had this big four bedroom, they downsize and they put that whatever bonus they make out of that towards their retirement. Well, th- this is a this is something I've thought a lot about uh, in terms of you know home ownership. And what we're really doing here is comparing store value assets. So you're comparing like the opportunity cost of buying a home in cash to the opportunity cost, or even the down payment, or to the opportunity cost of buying Bitcoin, right? And that's that's a calculation that you need to make, especially if Bitcoin is your unit of account, which it should be uh, if you're planning to just absolutely crush uh, from a financial perspective over the next 10, 20, 30 years, right? Um, one of the problems though is like, you know, because real estate has become a de facto store of value asset, you have the wealthy up there acquiring uh, so many single family homes, like BlackRock is buying, you know, 100,000 plus single family homes. They plan to be, uh, you know, the renters, you know, they're, they're going to be the landlords of that and do rent seeking on top of that. And like, I think most, this is one of the chief causes, in my opinion, the, the money printing is the cause of the wealth inequality that we're seeing right now. And that's the cause of the social turmoil that we're seeing right now, right? But I think it would go a long way if the wealthy would just, instead of parking their, uh, you know, their wealth in real estate, they would, as a store of value, they would park it in Bitcoin instead. And that would free up the real estate market for regular people, you know, bring prices down, there'd be a repricing and would free it up for regular people to get in on single family homes. Because really that's all that, uh, you know, that's all that normal people want. They just want home ownership. And they kind of want to be left alone. They don't mind going to work. And so if you have a society of owners rather than a society of renters, you fundamentally have more social cohesion. And I think like that's one of the things that I'm really excited about. Like as the wealthy elite start to understand Bitcoin better, they're going to understand that parking their, you know, their wealth in Bitcoin is, you know, much better, not just for themselves from a from a monetary perspective, which it is. They're going to absolutely dominate the returns of their peers who go into real estate. But it's better for a societal cohesion standpoint. Because what's the point of being super fucking rich if you have to live behind, you know, barbed wire gates like we're in fucking Buenos Aires or some shit? Hey, did we just hit 40 again? I see it on Jason's clock. 
Yeah, forty thousand two fifty five. We just Good hit show. a a better sound quality for you and people are going to be like, what's happened to your voice? <laughs> yeah. So despite doing this for months and uh, paying you handsomely for doing this and helping recruit <laughs> other people. I do not get paid. And, I do not And despite paid. being employee of the month, you still don't I know do how to select your paid. I'm not fucking employee. microphone. <laughs> Yo, I was up all night buying Bitcoin. Dude, you, yeah. like, what, why do you need to buy any more Bitcoin? You're already a billionaire. I don't own it all. Because he's realized that his unit of account was off and it was fucking up his wealth, you know, which is the realization that everybody's going to come to. Yeah, Hoddle, I hear, yeah, I hear you when you're talking about real estate, man. I just, for some reason, I don't agree. And I, it doesn't mean I'll, I won't change my mind in, in the future, but I, I just feel like this, there's, there's a time for a paradigm shift uh, right now. And, and the pursuit of, of academic credentials, a high paying job and home ownership. It sounds like mental to me. Well, no, I agree with that. Which which part of my real estate diatribe did you not agree with? That like society fundamentally wants home ownership and to be a part of like you're almost talking like a, a tribe. They like that. That's the highest level they could achieve is that that home ownership. It gives them for some most type of stability. Yeah. I agree with you for the above average person. That's not what you should be striving for. But if we're talking about the average individual, you know, most Americans, if they have any net worth at all, most of their net worths are zero or negative. But if they have any net worth at all, it's tied up in home equity. And so that's how it's been for the last, you know, 50 plus years. And I, I don't I don't necessarily see that changing in the future. Right. I mean, you know, the like, for instance, like old biblical, uh, the Bible says you should keep a third of your wealth in gold, a third of your wealth in your home property. And then a third of your wealth in your business, right? And so, like, this is this is a fundamental like human feeling that you must own property. I, I feel like you, if you feel that you can be easily displaced from you know where your roots are and where you raise your children, that's just uncomfortable for the vast majority of people. And so, I agree with you. Like mathematically, it's it's fucking stupid. Um, well, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But it seems to fly in the face to what's really happening today, where we've sent people to go work from home. Everything is remote. People are choosing to not necessarily even say, I have to stay in this state, this country, this continent. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, it seems like that is a contradiction. Yeah, well, that's like the tiny home thing, right? Like, do millennials actually want tiny homes or are they just economically disempowered serfs? Because I would argue nobody actually wants to live in a tiny home, which is just a rebranded trailer, you know? It's the, it's the same phenomenon. Like nobody actually wants to be a renter in their society. People want to have ownership over their society. This is a this is a core human need. And uh, I think if we see a shift from the wealthy out of real estate as a store of value asset to something like Bitcoin as a digital property store of value, it frees up a lot of physical property. People, the the regular people, the plebeians, you know, get to have ownership over their society and feel like they belong and blah blah blah. And like yeah, they're still going to be getting screwed and all the stuff that normally happens. Um, but they're going to they're going to feel like they have a piece of something and you'll see less chaos on the streets, less draconian, you know, uh, you know, sort of tyranny to keep everything, to keep a lid on everything. Like it, it's a more cohesive society. That's my point. Do you not think it's conditioning, though? Like you grow up with yeah, this condition. Yeah. yeah, you grow up with this conditioning. It's like, OK, you go to school, go to university, maybe you get a job, you buy a house, you get married, you have kids. It's like this this pattern and you're measuring stick is usually the house you have compared to your friends or the car you drive and you condition yourself that you can have two holidays a year if you're lucky and you know you just go on this hamster wheel year after year and nothing fucking changes 
we're not giving people the tools or the creative thinking when they're young enough to say, actually, you can live whatever life you want. You don't have to go to university. You don't have to get a job sat in a fucking box yeah, working but, for a guy. But yeah, and Peter, this is the stacking of debt. But this is what I was saying this morning. Like, and that that kind of um, uh, conditioning. I don't know if it's if it's a strategic conditioning done by you know our founding fathers so that we can keep you oppressed, right? Because every layer of that, every step of that progression is another layer of soul crushing debt, in my opinion. Right. It's like the pursuit of the high paying job. Well, it costs a lot. There's your academic expenses. Make sure you get a nice house for your family, more debt. We have the mortgage and the American dream. When you get that house, you need the three series BMW so you can keep up with the Hoddles and the Joneses. Right. And you're you're leasing that. So it's like, like one thing after another. And before you know it, you're just overwhelmed and lost and you're smoking crack cocaine. But you but you're always like relatively broke. We live in a debt-based society, and in order to succeed, you're going to have to take on a lot of debt. Even if you're a very wealthy person, you're going to have to have an extremely high amount of debt and ri risk being wiped out at any given point. This is why we hear the stories every recession or downturn about the billionaires who went to zero. And it's like, if you were on a hard money uh, standard, it's, it's much less likely that a billionaire is going to go to zero unless they've structured their assets in some sort of just insane way. But we all have to be insane in order to participate and strive in the fiat economy, right? And so it's when you have an inflationary economy as opposed to a deflationary economy. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> But regular people, normal people, just they want homes and they want to be left alone. I know this about normal people. You know, yeah, they, they want to also have their little, their little tiny home. They just want to sit in it and they want to feel safe and they don't want anybody coming in through the door. That's it. But the ba That's all they want. those basics though are getting harder. Those basics of even getting oh, a yeah. home, like like I well, had my because my of the first money house. Printing. Yeah, of course, my my you know my and well, and we've got more and more people and less and well, less space think, and think, you know less house. Think about what I just said. Well, that's like a European problem. We have tons of space here, but like think about what I just said. Like, you know, all my all my neighbors think that they're wealthy because their home is up thirty percent year over year. But if you don't own a home, homes just got thirty percent more expensive, and you don't have a thirty percent salary increase. So you're, yes. it is now 30% harder for you to have access to the American dream. And that happened in 12 months. Yeah, so think about it's it. 30% more expensive to take care of the home too, right? Yes. Right? You're going to get a tax Because services go up. Yeah. Right. Taxes you're going to get go a tax reappraisal. Services all go up. Repairs go up. And you didn't get a 30% raise. It's just a game. Yeah, I had to. I had to replace an air conditioner in my home. And, you know, like uh, two, three years ago, I replaced one on another property. Uh, and, you know, it was like six grand. This time I got it replaced, it was nine grand, right? So it's boom, there it is. Like, and if I didn't have the, if I didn't have my money parked in assets and I wasn't participating from the printing that's going on, you know, if I wasn't one of the beneficiaries, I'd be totally fucked. And so we're creating this, you know, it's harder and harder to get assets. Once you do have the assets, it's harder and harder to catch the people with the assets. And most people are never going to own anything, right? And so it's like that World Economic Forum of like, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. It's like, well, you'll own nothing because you're, you're getting locked out. You're going to be a permanent underclass. Will you be happy? I don't know. But it's not like ownership in society is going away. Somebody's going to own your society. It's just not going to be you. And that's, but that's distressing. Where, but that's when revolutions happen. Well, that's the problem is the Fed's policy of, you know, not raising rates and, you know, keeping rates low and continuing to print money is ultimately going to lead to social revolution. And you have to do something to head that off. 
Or if you raise rates now and you stop the printing and you do forced austerity, you just have total uh, you know, global economic collapse and that's going to kill millions. So it's like they're, they're between a rock and a hard place and they're picking the lesser of two evils in their mind, which is kicking the can down the road to ultimate revolution, which is like, uh, <laughs> it's an uncomfortable thought that we all have to live through it. But I, I feel like we all have to live through it. Well, an, an economic collapse has to happen. It's inevitable. It doesn't, now. though. Well, you know, really? I, it, it'll happen at the end during an unwind, but it doesn't. Yeah. Ha- they don't have to force it. They can keep it going for a long time. There's going to be a melt up, right, in the markets. That's my fundamental thesis. So you talk to a lot of people and they say basically like, there's a big correction coming. We're going to scoop up all the real estate just like we did in 08. Bullshit. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because first of all, you don't have privileged access. You're not BlackRock. So you're not going to get the free and the cheap money. Number two, there's not going to be a correction because they're going to print harder and faster than they've ever done before, which is what they did during the coronavirus pandemic, right? Like the the market can't even get a cold nowadays. If it goes down 20%, immediate printing, right? That you have to do it. It's a national security issue because they know that it'll cause widespread economic collapse and you'll have something worse than you've ever seen before in our lifetimes. Did you see what uh, Plan B tweeted out two hours ago? People are fucking weak now. They have no ability to live through something like the Great Depression, right? Like People are soft. Two hours ago, Plan B tweeted out, USD is imploding. Fed overnight reverse repo has exceeded $1 trillion. Fed creates money to buy treasury bonds, QE. Market is flooded with cash. There are no good investments. Market parks cash at Fed. Why not stop QE plus repo? Because US, just, because US interest rates up three years would be negative. I mean, I don't fully understand it, but I know it doesn't sound good. <laughs> Yeah, again, again uh, my, I'm going to keep pounding this, like my position that like buying buying property, commercial or residential property is a bad move right now. You should be buying Bitcoin and uh, and not exposing yourself to those carrying costs. Like I, I just, uh, I've spent the last year unwinding uh, whatever real estate I could and bought Bitcoin with it. Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about Gemini, my exclusive exchange sponsor who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm not selling. I tell you this every week, I'm just stacking. I'm using their app. I'm using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And you know what? I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With their streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing. And that's all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up, we have Revolut. Now, listen, as many of you know, because I've been talking about this for months, Lois TSB, the bank I was with for 25 years, they closed down all of my accounts. They obviously do not like Bitcoin. And then Revolut reached out to me. They saw my tweets. They said, Peter, come on, come to Revolut. We're the bank for you. So I did. I set up my account. It only took me a couple of hours. And everything was moved across. They like Bitcoin. They want to support Bitcoiners. And now Revolut are offering £20 or $20 to all new customers that sign up and complete three-card transactions. It only takes a few minutes to do. And you can create your card and add it to Apple Pay immediately to get that cash in your pocket. Now, you know what I would do. I would convert that straight to Bitcoin. Now, this is a new relationship. We are working hard at this. There's a lot to cover, and I'm hopefully going to get someone from the Revolut team onto the show soon to talk about this. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you do want to sign up and get the bonus, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD. That is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have BlockFi, who were pleased to recently announce that they have launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. 
Now, for those of you living out in the US who are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card is the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all card purchases and there is no annual fee. Not just that. For the first three months of card ownership, you get 3.5% back in Bitcoin and everything you spend over $50,000 will be 2% in Bitcoin. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And this week, we finish up with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. So we just lost connection because the billionaire doesn't have Wi-Fi that fucking works. <laughs> and that was like 20 minutes ago for anyone watching or listening. Do you like, does anyone remember what we were talking about? I have no idea. Houses? No. Like say, should we talk about what we were talking about while Jason what? was offline? Oh, how, uh, I was telling Peter that I think my, uh, my fundamental thesis is that um, the Bitcoin community has uh, imploded or splintered and there's no Bitcoin community anymore. I think there's just too many people here who are brand new too many outside voices and uh, maybe it'll go back and there'll be some cohesiveness during the during the bear market but right now it just feels like a bunch of individuals it doesn't there's no community feel anymore like there well, was me, a couple of years yeah, ago let, let me hit you with this you know has bitcoin become boomer coin you know it, <laughs> and, and I, yeah i mean I, i'm being honest like have we you know aged out as a community and there's so much peripheral noise and distractions that we are just not participating in because we're fundamentally opposed to it. And I'm throwing myself in that crowd. I may not be a good example, but is that why the Bitcoin community feels a bit disconnected? Yeah, I, the boomer coin is like a, is like a shit coiner, you know, like uh, it, it's, it, no, I'm just saying like, that's it's like a boom, not- it's, like bo- it's like a boomer upset being called a boomer. <laughs> I mean, listen, when when you get bigger and, you know, there's more wealth, there there is more stuff. Like you said, there's more peripheral stuff that goes that's attached to that. And, you know, it's not as easy as when you're the young, nimble Dogecoin moron who's out there just tweeting to the moon and eating Tide Pods and whatever. And, you know, it's funny because, like, I've been here for a while. We were the Dogecoin morons. Everybody thought we were the idiots who were eating Tide Pods and, you know, dealing in fake money and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I don't know. I think it's interesting now to get called boomer or whatever. I think it's like a sign of Bitcoin's success, you know. But there is no, there's too many. Let me let me put it this way. I, I was looking at um, Haas McCook, who's like, his thing is DCA. That's all he's ever cared about. That's what he cares about. That's what he talks about, etc. And he was have he was in like a flame war with one of the privacy guys, and they were going back and forth. And you know, it's just there are so many different distinct interests in Bitcoin now that everybody has their little piece of the elephant that they've glommed onto and that's very important to them and is their sacred cow and i think that's just going to continue to splinter outward right like the, the, it's tower of babel shit like there's just going to be a lot of different kinds of bitcoiners over the years and there is not going to be one single monolithic like bitcoin community anymore it's gone all right i'll tell you my issue because i'm definitely having that one of those periods in times where i'm like proper self-reflecting and thinking like what am i going to do for the next 
year. And like, and I, I'm, I was been getting a little bit bored of just making the same show over and over again, talking about why Bitcoin's monetary policy is great, why it's the best money that ever existed, yada yada. Uh, but also, I'm getting like, a, I go through these periods where I get drained by the shit you get, whether it's the YouTube comments or the the tweets. And the, the thing that's bothering me is like, I want to explore other topics. And I give you a good example. I like exploring the idea of governance because I'm f- sat firmly in the middle. I'm historically, like as a kid, I was definitely a socialist because I believed everyone should be fair and play their part and yada, yada. And then, um, you know, as I got older, I became more of a conservative because I realized actually like the incentive structure is wrong. Getting into Bitcoin, I've been exposed to libertarians and anarchists. And I think theoretically it sounds great. But I think the reality of anarchism or is, is quite difficult to envisage and, you know, is it net good for society? So I like exploring those subjects. And I think that they are interesting subjects to explore because we live in a world where either, you pretty much, you live in a democracy or a dictatorship, pretty much. And I know people say the US, the US isn't a democracy, it's a you know constitutional republic, etc. But the point being is, I like to explore those subjects. And I think conversations are healthy to, to go through it because as Bitcoin gets bigger, we're going to have more socialists come in and buy Bitcoin. We're going to have more Republicans. We're going to have more... We're all different types of people. And we've got to try and find a way to operate cohesively as a society. Well, we don't have to, but it's nice if we do. But I feel like... I feel this social pressure as a Bitcoiner that there's certain subjects that are off limits, that are hard to touch. And I push the envelope. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm vaccinated. I think vaccines are great. You know, I am still a bit of a status, blah, blah, blah. But there are certain subjects, like certain times I'm thinking, I'm just not going to tweet that because I just cannot be bothered to deal with the hundreds of people who are going to come in and just fucking insult you and shout at you, yada, yada. And then part of me is like, well, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway, which I probably most likely will. But it's draining over and over again. And I think the problem is, and I've touched on it before, and I wrestle with it myself, is that what is this toxicity about? You know, I fundamentally stand behind the Bitcoin thesis as, you know, good, sound money, censorship resistance, fixed monetary policy. Like, I stand behind all of that. What I don't like is that it's become this thing where it's like this guiding light for your diet, you know, your political uh, persuasion, all these other things. And, uh, you know, and if you, you know, if you talk about getting a vaccine, then you're a you're a, you're a uh, test subject and you're a vaccine shield and you're a big pharma shield. Like, it just gets fucking tiring that you're trying to have intellectual conversations or nuanced conversations and you just can't get there. So I've just, do you know what I've done? I've just changed my Twitter strategy. I've basically got rid of Twitter off my phone. I, the only way I see it is through the browser. And I've given up trying to reply to everyone who's a dick. But it's it's draining, man. It's draining. And I think it's now to the point where the confusion between the importance of protecting the protocol and then asymmetric topics is just going to turn people off. You know, it's, it's like whenever, whenever you see a criticism of Bitcoin, these criticisms, whether they're right or wrong, they're fair because there are thoughts we've had before. Someone makes a criticism, you just click on them. If they're a public figure, there's hundreds of Bitcoiners there shouting at them. And they must think, what the fuck is this? I don't know. I just think, I think we need to grow up, myself included, by the way. I just think we need to grow up with this. We need to have like a more mature conversation about what the, what the fuck is it we're actually doing here? A bit, bit like Weinstein said to me. Like, what is it we're doing here? Rant over. Yeah, I mean, I have thought about uh, what Eric said on your show, which is can the decentralized people do centralized things? And the answer I've come to is no. 
no, we can't. We're just individuals. There, you know, there really never was a Bitcoin community. There was just a loose association of people who, you know, believed in Bitcoin and wanted to get together and shoot the shit and talk about how they only eat meat and stuff like that, right? <laughs> and how they all hate you for taking the vaccine. Like that, it was just, you know, that's a very small subset of Bitcoiners. I, I meet Bitcoiners all the time who, you know, have none of these, uh, you know, ideologies. They, they don't, they don't know what's happening on Twitter. They don't care to know what's happening on Twitter. They just know that Bitcoin is the soundest money. And, you know, we, we used to say it more and we don't say it as much, but Bitcoin is money for enemies. And it's always been money for enemies. You, you don't have to have any pre-described or prescribed ideology in order to be a, a Bitcoiner. Like Jason uh, buys a bunch of JPEGs. You know, he thinks there's a lot of value there, right? And uh, that's not an activity that, that I personally subscribe to. Um, because I can, you know, I can just steal them. <laughs> but, well, I stole, I stole one of his. <laughs> yeah, I stole one. Uh, yeah, we. You were you were early on uh, fighting the uh, the NFT, the JPEG thing. I, I think I think another struggle for Bitcoiners is it attracts so many diverse, intelligent people. I'm going to go out on a limb and say they're highly intelligent folks in the space uh, who. Uh, don't necessarily subscribe to the social norms that, you know, people do. So they're wild. They'll say whatever's on their mind and they're for the most part, pretty intelligent. It's a tough group to manage. Totally. It's like herding cats, right? And I think a lot, I think Twitter itself has become a game where people are just saying things to get a rise out of other people or whatever, which is like, that's Twitter in general. That's not just Bitcoin Twitter. Mm. That's all Twitter, right? And so it's just, you know, the community is a little less um, ideological, like the rose colored glasses are sort of off. And some of it has just become about like just being dicks for no reason about stuff. Because, you know, frankly, like a lot of people, you know, Bitcoin or not, they get on Twitter and they don't have any real power in their regular life. You know, they're everybody's bitch in real life. And so they get on Twitter and it makes them feel good. It's cathartic to be like, Peter McCormick's a fat piece of shit. Fuck that guy. He got the vax, fuck him. You know, it makes them feel good because then they they hop off Twitter and their girlfriend goes, did you do the dishes? Did you do the, huh? Huh? And you're, you know, that's that's what I think when I see a lot of these dudes who are angry for no reason. It's like, I know somebody in their real life is treating them like the little bitch that they are. Which is hey, like, do you know of what? Course. I wonder how many of those people who've given me shit about getting the vaccine have actually also had it. Oh, yeah. That's true too. There's a lot of things. Every Bitcoiner knows there's things you can't post on Bitcoin Twitter. So if you got the vaccine, you're not going to post it, you know. Yeah. Well, I think there's another problem with with Bitcoin Twitter and maximalism and it and it's uh, around um trying to uh impose um limits on people's like research they're doing. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I I find that I'm naturally curious and I learn by doing. So, if I don't participate in mining Chia, I don't realize that it just wrecks your fucking computer and it's a fucking waste of time. Like, and I know, yeah, I don't know how you arrived at that other than casually saying, I don't even have to look at it. It's fucking stupid. Mm, look, I had a conversation. But it's really, I'm, I'm interested to know, like, how do you arrive at knowing that downloading, downloading the Chia blockchain to your, you know, hard drive and fucking smoking your computer Let's, um, no, no, Jason, I'll give you an example because I never mind Chia and I arrived at the conclusion that it was all bullshit, but I didn't do it from reflexive maximalism. I did it because I said, hmm, 
okay, Bram Cohen's got a new project. Uh, it's hard drive storage space instead of, you know, computational work. That's kind of interesting, I guess. I wonder what, doesn't seem like it's going to work, but let's see. Um, one of their stated claims was they weren't going to cause, you know, supply disruptions because there's plenty of hard drive space. Boom, they immediately cause a supply disruption. Project invalidated, right? Very, very simple for me, and I didn't have to mind Chia <laughs> to understand <laughs> it. <laughs> Do you know, it's not even the shitcoin stuff for me or the NFTs. I mean, I did at one point want to cover the NFTs and I was going to, I think it was Jimmy Song I was going to do it with, but I was going in with an attitude of dismissing it because I'm a Bitcoiner, so I have to dismiss it. And that that felt wrong, uh, even though it felt like it was the wrong approach. But I just feel like there's certain topics that are, they feel off topic or they feel like, is it worth the energy and the shit you'll take? So let's give an example uh, I don't like BitClout in any way at all. And I thought the way Breedlove approached it was slightly odd. But I think the reaction to that and the shit he took was savage. And, this, and it acts like a warning. It was. It, it was. acts like a warning to everyone. It was a beheading. A bit, it was a beheading. It, yeah. yeah. like The head goes well, on put, the pike. The head, pike. digital head, yeah. digital pike. Yep. You, any of you, you touch this shit, we're going to fucking finish you. We're going to end you. And do you know what? He was he was kind of one of the, the stars of the moment. Like he went on Lex and he crushed it. Every podcast he was yeah. going on, he was crushing it. His writing was incredible. And then he went from that to completely dismissed by nearly half the community, I'd say. I mean, picking a number out of the air. More, but also more, he more couldn't post... Yeah. He had to, he blocked a bunch of people. He had, and anytime he posted it, you would just go in and it'd be, yeah, what about BitCloud? What about BitCloud's camera? And I was just like, you know, and I reached out to him and, you know, I've spoken to him a few times, you know, because I was like, well, hold on, you're my friend. Like, I, I might disagree with what you're doing, but I still support you as a person. Like, let's talk this through. But it acted like a fucking warning. And I did, I just did an interview with Eric Voorhees and I got Udi to join me to talk about him decentralizing Shapeshift. Now, look, I don't care about Shapeshift because I don't use it. I don't care about the Fox Toke. I just don't care about it. But the idea of essentially decentralizing your business and winding it up, he's essentially winding his business up because he, he doesn't want to provide KYC. So he's like, the only way I can get rid of KYC is completely decentralizing my business and essentially wind it up and put it out to the community. And I was like, that's an interesting topic. I don't care about shitcoins, but the idea that you're winding up a business to decentralize it I want to talk about that. But I was having that moment thinking, if I do this, how much shit am I going to get? How many of the morons are going to say, yeah, but Eric Voorhees is a shit corner. Yeah, but Eric Voorhees tried to destroy Bitcoin. It's like they're missing the topic of conversation that's interesting. Yeah. And I'm like, is my head going on a pike? I mean, it could. I, I think fundamentally, like, I'm not scared of shit coins because um, I just, I know that they're not going to work. There's not going to be something that displaces Bitcoin. Bitcoin will always have uh, the prominent or the premier store of value asset place in the entire crypto ecosystem. I mean, you know, we talk, some people talk about it being the reserve currency of the world. It's already the reserve currency of the internet, which is a global phenomenon. So it's already the reserve currency of the digital world. It's already won. Bitcoin has won, right? So I'm not afraid of shitcoins. I don't personally like when people engage in shitcoin behavior. And by that, I mean promotion. So promotion is where I draw the line. If you're going to, if you're going to do whatever you're going to do, you're going to trade in the background in order to make more Bitcoin. Personally, I've never had a problem with that, right? And that, like nowadays, like that used to be something everybody agreed with. Nowadays, that is maybe a statement that could get you canceled. Don't know, don't care. But when you're promoting a shitcoin, you are leading people down a primrose path. 
um, that is ultimately going to destroy and hurt them. And, you know, just morally, I have a compulsion against that and I must speak out against it if you're going to promote. And so I think what, what Breedlove was doing was it was not quite a promotion, but it looked like a promotion in the beginning, which is why it caused the big reaction. And then everybody doubled down. He doubled down. The community doubled down. Nobody wanted to admit you know, that they were wrong. And it was like, we know what you were up to. And he was like, but I wasn't up to that. And like, the truth is probably, Robert probably thought he could get away with this from an intellectual standpoint, because he knew that there were certain rules in the community that you weren't allowed to broach, right? So he was trying to basically take advantage of his BitCloud token in order to get more Bitcoin. I fully believe that Robert is a hardcore maximalist. So he was trying to get more Bitcoin and he thought he could walk across the tripwires in a specific way where it was intellectually like passable that he did this. And what he found is that he tripped one of the wires, essentially. And, you know, does he deserve to be like canceled for all time because of that? I don't know. You know, it's like, how do you come back from a canceling? Like once a large like body of people have a negative feeling about you, especially if you were one of the tall poppies and you were like an exalted voice in the community. Um, it's really fucking difficult, man. So I don't know. I, I just want to say like, I agree with you. I feel like everybody went too far on Robert, like including myself. I had like extremely negative feelings about it. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I just don't think like it was the appropriate reaction. I think like we're embroiled in bullshit. You have senators and congressmen who are out there like with their knives sharpened and they want to stab Bitcoin in the back and kill it. And the, the Bitcoin response is, is like, who cares? Nobody can do anything about it, which is like, it's nonsense because they can't do anything to Bitcoin, but they can do stuff to us. And so it's like, who gives a shit what Robert did? You know, there's like real people that hate Bitcoin and want to kill it and want to see all of our wealth go to zero, which is terrible. And we should use every legal and ethical and moral means to push back against those narratives, which I think are, you know, outright they're just wrong. They're lies. And I think the truth is on our side and will prevail ultimately, you know. Let me ask you a question, Hoddle. So one of the things that came up during the conversation with, I had with Eric Voorhees was this idea of in a decentralized world, uh, if you wanted to create a company and you wanted to get investors and you wanted to decentralize the ownership, you know, if you wanted to be a digital nomad, you wanted to have a bunch of people invest uh, and there was no share structure, like, how would you do it? Because in my head, one of the ways you could do it is a token, a bit like the INX guys done have done on Liquid. And there is that kind of feeling that this is coming, like the token structure is coming, and it's something that might happen on Liquid, right? When I did the INX interview with the guys, like ignore the fact they put it first on Ethereum, the idea just of a token, even on Liquid, the responses, the YouTube comments, the Twitter comments yeah. was all very negative. Do you think that's rational or do you think that's PTSD well, from to token no, bullshit listen, from 2017? I've been, you know, I've been here for a, a while. I'm not like a, a really early OG, but I've been here since 2015 in earnest. And uh, in in that during that time period when I first came in, there were two distinct schools of maximalism. And, and we forget that because, you know, one won um, and the other one lost. And it was monetary maximalism which was Bitcoin's the only money in the entire world and the money is the only thing that's important. And then there was platform maximalism, which was Bitcoin is the only money. It's super important. These other things are going to exist. And instead of being built on their own chains, they should be built on top of Bitcoin. And I think platform maximalism is going to make a resurgence. And whether the monetary maximalists feel like one way or the other about it, like there's nothing you can prevent. You can't prevent people from building on Bitcoin. So yeah, you can apply like negative social pressure, but people are going to do whatever the fuck they're going to do. So platform maximalism might win the day uh, and come in at the end because there is going to be shit built on Bitcoin, built on Lightning, 
Um, and some of those things might have tokens attached to them. You know, it's up to you but, whether but, you participate in that or not. It just gets so slippery when you start to really look at the technologies. Like even, you know, the work that Jack was doing, he was using Tether, you know, and he started to take damage yeah. because of that. It's like, you got to let the person build. You got to give them a break. Like, what if people took Jack down at that moment for, for using Tether as a fundamental kind of port in the middle of those transactions, they could have breed loved him. Would that have would that have been a great service to what we're trying to do? No, no, it wouldn't have been. And uh, you can see that, like Jack Mahler's, for instance, has you know like a, a protective shield around him at the for the moment because he's basically the only lightning entrepreneur. He's one of the youngest entrepreneurs. He's a Bitcoin only guy. We all know he's a good Bitcoiner. Everybody likes Jack, and so he has a shield around him. But he's not you know, he can misstep. And if one of those missteps causes the next great thing to not be built on lightning, that would be a tragedy, you know? So like, I don't know, I think we should all just cut each other some slack and shit, like, honestly. But don't promote shit coins. Like, that's that's the line in the sand. Don't promote shit coins. Don't do that. That's where you, that's where you have fallen off the path. So I'm with you on the monetary maximalism, 100%. And I'm primarily there on the platform maximalism. But the thing is, you know, in doing this job, I know of plenty of Bitcoin companies that at some point or another have had to work yeah. with Ethereum to do things. I mean, you know, Sovereign. Look, look, at, look at Sovereign. I made an investment in Sovereign. I continued to ask them questions around a token. The SOV token is on RSK mainnet, and it's an ERC-20-based token. Yeah. And it's like, Jason, Jason let me ask you point blank. Am I shitcoining like, right now? Because I invested listen. in Sovereign. I already know the answer. Like, and like full disclosure, me and Jason are friends. We're like good friends, right? Like we've become really friendly over the last year. I like Jason a lot. Um, and yeah, like, does he do things that are considered and so as the cancel culture squad might come for me because I'm guilty by association, right? And they it's like tried. no, they already tried. Of course, who cares? But it's like, does Jason do things that I consider shitcoining? Jason, let me ask you, what's your unit of account? Bitcoin. What you're doing everything in service to make more Bitcoin, right? That's what I'm doing. Yeah, you don't usually or you don't outright promote shitcoins or have you ever? I'm not working hard to hold gift out. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> it's like, you know, like to me, like as a as a Bitcoiner from back in the day, like, you know, Jason is somebody I consider an ally in the Bitcoin space. I do not consider him to be anathema to Bitcoin. And Jason probably holds more Bitcoin than, you know, hundreds and hundreds of plebs combined. Right. So it's like what I don't know. Sometimes I, I just ask myself, like, how counterproductive is all this stuff? And I'm not saying you 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 can't have negative feelings about Jason or what he does. Like, I just don't give a shit. And that's my personal like opinion if I want to be friends with. You know what I mean? So it's like there's just all this dumb bullshit that has is gotten in the way of things that are that are more important, you know? Like for instance, they're gonna try and put a fucking property tax and a wealth tax on Bitcoin. Is that something that you want to rally against? And get your allies together, and you know, do the legal, ethical, political, uh, you know, path in order to prevent that from occurring. Or is that something that you just want to take on the chin, or you want to say like, oh, well, we'll just move countries. Like you're going to move countries and give up half your wealth, and then move to a place that's less secure where the U.S. has interest anyway, and they can still get. What the fuck are we talking about? Like, do you guys know how the world works or not? You know, to me, it's like there are the enemies of Bitcoin have their knives sharpened. They don't like Bitcoin for whatever reason. I don't understand. Like, I, to me, I think it's like a apolitical technology, but like people don't like it, yada, yada, yada. Um, 
those people are trying to harm you and your family and your future prosperity. And you're worried that Breedlove did a little shit coining? Like, fuck, who cares? Like, who cares? You know? And I count myself. I count myself amongst. I've gotten caught up in the bullshit too. Right, but what was his motivation? And I'm a Breedlove fan, so what was his motivation of even pursuing BitClout? Was it intellectual curiosity or the the opportunity to sell that token and pick up some Bitcoin? Like, I'm, it was the second. It was the well, second. no, no, no. We no, all no. know it. We all know. Well, it. no, we don't. And I think this is the key point. <sighs> we I don't do the, think. Come on, come on of no, course, that's what it was. But that's fine too. It's no, like, no, it's not. That's called speculation. We have his version. We have other people's versions. We don't know the actual truth. We don't know if he was investigating it. We don't know if he was um, uh, trying to, you know, get pull a fast one. We just don't know, and we'll never. Robert's know. We'll only smart. speculate. Listen, Robert. Yeah, but Robert's then too smart to, to to blow up his, you know, blow up. He, he, you know, he no, was no, the no. golden boy, and he what? blew it up. Well, hold on, hold on. I think Robert is a very smart and a powerful person. And I think he was grossly offended by people telling him what he should and shouldn't do. Mm. I, I think yeah. that happened. And I think that's the reflexive response he got was he got pushed against. And I think he pushed back. And that's that's the fight that ensued, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's it's, um, well, I, I just, it keeps bringing me back to that. You know, that Weinstein interview is really interesting to me for a whole number of reasons. And I've thought about it so many times. Like, I've really battered myself and beat myself up about it, about the way I approached it, way it went. But I do, you know, and I left it thinking, oh, God, this guy just doesn't get it. But actually, can I give you some some feedback? You did terrible during that. (laughs) Well, yeah, but why do you think I did terrible? Tell me why you did you sounded like a meme. You sounded like a meme from Bitcoin Twitter, and you didn't seem like you you had the depth behind the memes. Do you know what I mean? Because well, I think for you, you you've been socially on one point. pressured into you've been socially pressured into being a maximalist. Like I don't know if you got there through intellectual rigor. Like I know you got there eventually, but like was it through social pressure? You know, I, like to me, it seems like it was. I think you. I think you're right on one point because it stood out. Is the point when I said I basically ripped off a uh, Breedlove line where I said uh, the money printer is counterfeiting, and then I didn't have the rigor behind it. I didn't have the defense behind That's it. And true. you're absolutely right. And I think I think you're referring to that point. I actually think, generally speaking, I did okay. I think my main issue was is that I didn't think about the audience for the interview. So I went in. I prepped hard for that interview, and I went in to defend Bitcoin and try and get Eric's interest and make a show for Bitcoiners. And what happened was you go in the YouTube comments and the YouTube comments are dominated by people early on. Bitcoin is going, I try to do what I do with everyone, but with Eric. I try to get Eric to explain his concepts so anyone can understand. And I I failed to get him to do that. And a lot of people recognize that. But what happened was over the time, the comments started to be more about criticism of me and criticisms of Maximus. So what's happening clearly is that the Bitcoiners all watched the interview and then there's Eric Weinstein fans who are searching YouTube, finding the interview, and they're just dismissive of it because they just don't get what's going on. The failure of the interview was to recognize that the show should have been made for non-Bitcoiners. It should have been one where I just went in and let Eric talk about the things he's interested in, and I should have just mm. let him talk. That was the interview I should have made, and, and I got it wrong. But in the end, the something he has stuck said stuck with me since more than in any other interview. He said... I have belief in you guys. You guys were, like, I'm paraphrasing here. You guys were the rebels. You're the, you know, but what the fuck are you doing here? Lambos and laser eyes? Like, what the fuck are you doing here? And it's it stuck with me ever since. It's like, yeah, actually, what are we doing here? Like, no, this having is the truth. The- 
yeah, it's a little, it, it's a little, uh, a little, it's another nuance to it. And I've had a, f- a few chances to speak to Eric and he said something to me that, that stuck with me. And it was, nobody speaks to him in the language he can hear because the language that we're using from the, the toxic maximalist language is just screaming memes and, and crazy shit at him. And it, it, he's not receptive to it, nor is Elon Musk. You know, th- these guys just don't, it doesn't resonate with them. They're used to being the talkers, not the people listening. And they feel like when they're listening to you, you know, you should be respectful. They're giving you their attention, regardless of what you think. Most plebs are going to be like, fuck you. You know, who are you to, you know, require my attention or whatever. But that's how these guys operate. They're professors, they're leaders. I, I agree too. Like P- Peter, I think, I think like we all have a lot of programming from when we grew up that we think success is like having a Lamborghini and getting your dick sucked and living like Wolf of Wall Street or something, right? Which like, who doesn't want to do all that shit? I mean, you know, it sounds fucking awesome. Like Jason owns a tons of, tons of Lambos and shit. Like how many Lambos do you have? Just one, two, three, one, four, Next. five. Uh, anyway, you know, it's like, and I'm sure he's gotten his dick sucked in them. Like, because this guy's a Chad, you know what I'm saying? But to me, that's not the point of your Bitcoin holdings. Your your Bitcoin holdings are for increased prosperity for your life and the life of those around you and to do things that are beneficial for society, to become real risk capital for things that actually fucking matter, that are innovative, that help humanity. It's not for us to sit and be the rent seekers from the past generations. We're not those guys. Right. And every time we like are frivolous with our thoughts and actions, it makes us look like those guys. And people have a misunderstanding of who we are. We're the guys who build the cathedral that 200 years from now, you wonder how it got built. That's who the fuck we are. And we put one brick in at a time until the thing is fucking done. That's how we're going to operate in the world. We're not going to be moon Lambo bitches. Sell your Lamborghinis right now, Jason. Come on, man. No, no. But here's the evolution. That's why you are now boomer coin, because we used to be. The guy in the cat T-shirt with the Lambos and the Super Scion memes and the 10,000, 11,000. Like, all that stuff seems kind of dumb Yeah, now. Yeah, it does. You know it what does. I'm saying? It seems kind of dumb because you're older now. Okay, you're I'm older say- now, and you're actually thinking, you're going like this. How yeah. do I spend my Bitcoin when it gets to a certain number? Because I actually want to have a, a house or a car at some point, and my kids need to go to school. Because I didn't have kids when I started, but now I have three. You know, and they want to eat and they need clothes. Yeah. And my wife's looking at me like, you know, how long am I going to drive the 83 minivan? Like all this stuff is real. And yep. you're going to have to spend some Bitcoin if you have put the majority of your wealth there. Bitcoiners have gotten older and they're starting to think about tax planning, trusts, wills. And how yeah. do I spend my Bitcoin? Not moon Lambo. Give me a blowjob. I mean, but this is what this is what I'm getting at. Like. Like, cause I, I'm definitely like self-reflecting on this. Everything you're saying is right, Hoddle. But I'm like self-reflecting on this, saying like, what are we doing, man? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? We've got a country now making Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, are, are we excited because our uh, value in Bitcoin might go up? Or are we excited because like we're bringing economic freedom to El Salvador? And if we're excited because we're bringing, well, I say we, but, but economic freedom is being brought to El Salvador. Is it happening in the right way? It's like, is enough time and energy being focused on 
educating people because yeah. what we're talking about, we're talking about a lot of people in this country who, who are poor. It's a third world country, right? These aren't people who are going to have a cast of multi-sig and distribute keys around El Salvador. They're going to have a phone wallet and they're maybe going to put a few sats in it. And those few sats might be like most of their income. And if Bitcoin drops by 50%, that's going to fuck them. Like, so are we educating people? Are we planning for these ideas? Are we really helping people? Are we also using our wealth to do better things? I have a feeling that there are many people in the early Bitcoin community who are on Bitcoin Talk back in 2011 and looking and going, what the fuck has this become? This has become a bunch of morons yelling at each other, taking the piss, doing memes. And look, yeah, memes serve a certain purpose. But like, are we serious about this? And what what are we actually trying to achieve? Like, what are we trying to do here? And it's yeah. it's really bothering me at the moment. And it's like to the point where I'm like, I'm feeling dejected doing my job as a podcaster. I'm like, am, am I serving any purpose anymore? Am I just every week getting somebody on to repeat you. the same fucking points over and over again? Like Willie Woo's my biggest God, show. Yeah, yeah, my biggest show. That's what people want to hear. Every month is Willie Woo. And I was talking to my producers and I was saying, you know, sorry if you listen, Willie, but I'm thinking of getting rid of it, you know? And, and that means cutting off a whole bunch of my downloads every month, which affects my... But I'm thinking, is this the right approach? Like, and have, have, have we lost, like, a touch of humanity with this? And that's, that's really fucking getting to me. I'm, like, really self-reflecting. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, when you look at the canceling of Robert Breedlove, like, for instance, you know, Robert was a person who was adding bricks to the cathedral. He was helping mm-hmm. build what we're all trying to build, which is a better safer, more fair, more equitable society, right? Like capitalism, true capitalism, not not oligarchy and and, and not, not socialism or communism where there's just a small group at the top who have power, but a distributed uh, power set. We're like, yeah, there's going to be rich people. There's always rich people, but it'll be a more fair you know, world for everybody. Same rules to the game apply, no matter what your sex, race, creed, religion, whatever, right? And like Robert was a guy adding to that cathedral, and there are other guys taking bricks away from that cathedral. And those people are the enemies of Bitcoin, not the people adding bricks who have, you know, human failability, right? Well, let's ask a question then. So on the BitCloud thing, does it actually harm Bitcoin? Did he harm Bitcoin by talking about that in his no, tweets? No, he didn't harm, no. BitCloud but does cancel him Bitcoin at all. But does canceling him, see, I think the net, the net score of what happened is negative. Like if you add up any potential damage you think he did by talking about BitClout in a few tweets to the response of essentially cancelling him, I think that was a negative output for Bitcoin. Well, I, I would even take it a little different and say Robert's a human being who has a wife and kids. And like, I don't know why we would treat anyone with like the way he was treated. I mean, this is someone who's given of himself to try to move this stuff forward and and people treated him like an asshole. Well, I think and a lot of these people, they don't know what it's like for the internet to come at them. Like, you've had it. Both of you had it at certain times. But oh, when yeah. you've got like Tons 100 followers or 500, or 1, even 1,000 followers, and you see some negative feedback, it's it's kind of small. When you've got like 100, 200, 300,000 followers, and you fuck up and they come after you, it is rough. I talked to Dan Hale about this. It's rough. Yeah, I, well, and, it feels good to be on the other side of it, the side where you're piling on. It feels good. It's like cathartic for good. people. You know? I don't feel no, good I'm, No, no, I mean, no, no, if you're I mean, casting stones, it feels good to cast. It doesn't feel good if the stones are hitting you. You know what I mean? But if you're casting stones, you feel like you're, you're, you're the person who's uh, in, in the moral right, right? Like, you know, you're the higher virtue person. So 
your behaviors are acceptable. And, you know, this is like, we see this all, this is a human phenomenon. It's not going away. Can't get it out of Bitcoin. Can't get it out of people. Like, it's just how it is. Uh, What I'm saying, though, is like, you know, I wish we had a little bit more thought leadership around doing the long-term, you know, actions that are going to promote a better world instead of moon Lambo bullshit or whatever the fuck, you know? What is that to you? Because I don't care about that. What what is that to you, though, promote a better world? To me, it's like, you know, if Bitcoin's going to be the next reserve currency, then Bitcoiners are going to have tremendous amounts of wealth and they're going to be the capital allocators of, of the new age, right? And the, the places that they allocate capital to, the things that they allocate capital to will shape the world for not just a, a hundred years or a generation, but thou- maybe a thousand years in the future. So like the seeds that you plant during your lifetime are incredibly important and I hope you're planting seeds in the right place. And I think there should be more discussion around that rather than like, you're going to get a Lamborghini. You're going to get a Lamborghini is fiat bullshit thinking. It's, it's, mm. it's your past self. It's, it's eight-year-old you who saw that on TV and thought that was what a high-status male or whoever achieved. And it's, it doesn't mean anything about you. Like, it, it's nothing. I could buy myself a Lamborghini right now, but You've I don't. Basic, you know? You've basically echoed... What Weinstein said, you've, Weinstein said, you've literally echoed it. You said, you basically just said, what the fuck are we doing? What are we doing here? Like, no, but we are having this conversation all the time. Like, this is a conversation we're having internally. Like, I, yeah. I, I feel like we are challenging ourselves with this all the time. I, I think it's, um, you know, essentially what Weinstein's question was, can the, can the decentralized people do centralized things? And I think the answer is no, not as a monolith. We can't all come together for one thing. But you know, the, the splintering of the community will produce different outputs from the different Bitcoiners that care about different things. If you look at like something like uh, what Untapped Growth is doing and like him and Marty Bent are always on the anti-ESG crusade. And that's that's a great crusade for them to be on. And they care very deeply about it. Like for me, I just I don't really know about that. And I don't really care about that. I'm interested in other things. Right. And then you have the Bitcoiners who are extremely interested in privacy or extremely interested in financial education, which is like the zone that I'm in. Like I really want for me, I want as many people to come along in this ride as possible. And then later, I'll figure out what to do with the money. But, you know, it's just, we're going to have a splintering of the community. People are going to come together to do centralized things to one degree or another. And it's my great hope that those things, uh, you know, greatly impact the world. And there's going to be, of course, there will be failures. And nobody who strives for greatness ever reaches it. And so you're always a hypocrite because greatness is always just out of reach, right? But like, that's what we should be fucking striving for. I think we're going to get a growing voice of what appears to be more left-wing Bitcoiners. Which is fine. They can use Yeah, Bitcoin which is fine. Too, but what, and what I mean here is this this is the people... Like, and I certainly... Sure, for certain left-wing issues, Bitcoiners are NFTers. Well, I think... <laughs> true, true. I, I certainly think on certain su- subjects, that that's why I get thrown into the left-wing bucket and get called a uh, well, whole range of things. Like, I definitely have concerns about the environment. I definitely think vaccines work and you know I would encourage certain people they should think about having them but at the same time support like it being optional like I'm really interested in topics like that I'm really interested in truth finding as well because I think the most interesting thing about covid is like how fucking hard it is to to really understand the truth because you can find a convincing argument for whatever side of the fence you fall on. If you think vaccines are terrible, you can find data and arguments that says, like, vaccines are not effective. If you are pro-vaccine, you can find data that 
promotes its efficacy. Like, how the fuck are we even truth finding at the moment? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that's part of just the world we live in that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, right? It's it's gotten really difficult to try and source truth, uh, you know. And so I think people are, you know, there's this um, the psychology of choice. I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about it that when they tried to find the perfect Pepsi, essentially people didn't want the perfect Pepsi, and then they figured out people wanted the perfect Pepsis. So there was a whole range all over the taste palette, and that's why when you go to the grocery store. There's, you know, seven different types of ketchup, right? But there's not 90 different types of ketchup. And the reason there's not 90 different types of ketchup is because when humans are overwhelmed with an abundance of choice, they default back into themselves. So I think the amount of information we have is the same thing as having no information in that it causes tribal behavior uh, between humans. So it's you like, have seven types right of now. ketchup. There's probably more, honestly. We literally have one that people buy here. Maybe two. The ketchup aisle is full of different ketchups. Like everything in America is just like taster's choice, whatever you want. You know, it's all over the place. Like the psychology of choice. People want to have options, but they if they have too many, they'll shut down. What about you, Jason? Like you're obviously uh, a very successful entrepreneur and author and family man and Bitcoiner. Like what's the shit that you, really interests you? Like thinking longer term, legacy, personal, et cetera. What, where, where are you feeling drawn to? Yeah, it, recently, and it's going to have long-term impact, it's the um, the importance of education, higher education. So I've really been spending a lot of time thinking about that and, um, you know, talking about it with my children. Like, do you really want to go to college um, or have I pressured you or a society pressured you into uh, feeling like you you'll be validated you'll have the stamp of approval by going to college versus picking what you love to do. Because, you know, I did some work before you came along and I'm, I can give you a little push or a boost into doing what you want to do now. You know, even high school, do you want to homeschool versus continue on that path for a few years? Do you want to start now? So I, I'm, I found that to be really, really interesting. It's probably just because of where I am in my own life. Um, but uh, I've enjoyed that discussion with the kids and I, I've seemed to challenge them. I don't know what they'll choose. It's their choice in the end. But uh, I, I feel like uh, I've enjoyed challenging them with that. Because you're going to become one of those allocate, well, you are an allocator of capital. But if Bitcoin you know, goes to multiple hundreds of thousands, you are going to have more money than you can spend on yourself. So it's and that, that might become a burden. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like it's a burden. Uh, so I, I've, I've already crossed that bridge in my own mind. Like I, I want right. to acquire as much money as I possibly can because I, I think it gives you options. And that's really why I want the money. I want the options. I want the options to do things with money and, and be philanthropic like we talked about. But also to make dreams, you know, and that, that's the thing that, uh, I'm talking about with the kids. It's like, if you want to open a surf shop, coffee shop, why go and get an MBA? Like you don't have to have that. And you can travel the world and start when you're 18, not 23 because time is precious and you can always go back to school. It's like how, when I'm talking to professional athletes, it's like, take the chance. Now you don't have to go to college. You can be a pro athlete. Now you could always go back to school. You know, I'm, I'm just modulating that space now. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, it does really make I you love- think when you when once your kids become like young adults when when they when they come and say things to you that surprise you and they have real intellectual thoughts and really challenge you it really it really makes you rethink about yourself well I don't know I mean I'm answering for you I just know uh, that's what I've done like I've really I feel the burden of helping my kids make more kind of radical decisions because they are feeling obliged to go to college and follow the traditional school route and you know build up that debt yada yada and I'm trying to give them options where I've looked like the radical idiot right if you explain to us if, if you tell other parents the things I'm saying to my kids they'll be like what the fuck are you doing like they should it's a real it's, burden. It's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible when a kid gets exposed to me or the things I've said to my kids. Those kids will come around and they'll say, "Explain to me why college isn't important. Like, what what are you seeing, or what why do you feel this way?" And I know the parents they're they you know the hair is standing up on the back of their of neck because they're they're concerned about these these discussions. They are a bit radical, but it, I think it goes along with a lot of the things that I've said. Uh, earlier, I, I I feel like I've been conditioned to believe that having a master's degree defines me in some way as superior. Having a PhD uh, makes me even more superior. And and I should tell everyone that I have a master's and a PhD because that also keeps you in check and allows me to talk just a bit longer or maybe have just a little more influence. I hate all of that. I, I despise it. You know, I, I just feel like um, my parents did me a disservice by saying my escape from poverty was an education. Do you know what, uh, Peter, do you know what Jason does when he drives his, his nice cars around? And I'm sure his car collection is worth several million dollars. When he drives his cars around, he, uh, you know, he, he wears T-shirts that say nonsense on them. Like, what's your, what's your T-shirt say right now? It's a uh, Troubadour know, Lounge. Troubadour Lounge in Park. Music. And then, yeah, and then he's yeah. got some version of a mullet and pit vipers and, and when he gets out of the car, he tells people he's just gassing it up for the rich guy who owns it. <laughs> <laughs> How great is that? It's so good. Well, listen, you don't want to be driving those cars when you're in like your 60s and 70s and look like an old dude. I agree, man. And these are, again, like that's the soundbite. Like it's like, do you want a Lamborghini? It's just a little trophy along the way. Well, get it when you're 25. That's fun. You know, don't be yeah. 75 in a Lamborghini. That's just, you're a creepy old dude in a Lamborghini. Now, you know, in my opinion, like, enjoy it while you're young. You know, do it then. Um, and uh, <laughs> like a if, you can, if you can afford it. If you can afford yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're 25 by a Lamborghini. Well, oh, hold on. I live in my fucking parents. <laughs> Jason house. Williams' financial uh, advice. <laughs> no, but, but, but the financial advice starts with taking wild swings and risk at a young age, not going yep. the traditional path. Like I'm saying, like, go for it. Because if you go for it at 18 and you get it right, by the time you're 22, 23, you're set, man. You're making way more money. It's like once you start to make money, you figure out how this thing works. It's quite easy to make money, right? And then you start to make money in different ways, some passive, some active. You continue more passive revenue streams and you start making piles of money and you start realizing I don't have to wear the suit. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to listen to the compliance officer. I'm not going to play by your rules anymore. I'm out. I'm going to do it my way. I think it's a certain personality type though. Like- you either have it in you or you don't to go out there and be entrepreneurial and think about money. It's like some people just don't give, like my son just does not care. 
he's like this beautiful artist. He just doesn't care enough about it to go out and put the work in. He's like this beautiful creative soul. He just wants to paint. And that's fine. And that's cool. Um, and I just think some people don't have it. And some people need to be led and some people want to lead. And it is like a range of... But the, major- the majority of the Bitcoiners and the people I hang around with are very financially focused. They're learning about money. They want financial security. They want to break away from the nine to five. So I, I think that's why I'm speaking this way. I, I think this would be highly offensive if I was sitting down, you know, indoctrinating your child with this kind of rhetoric because he's just like, I don't care about the things you care about. Yeah, but for each of you, how many of your friends have you actually sat down and tried to have the Bitcoin conversation and they, they've done oh, the opposite? Man. They don't care. And you told well, them at 1,000, you told them at 20,000. Like, they just don't care. You, cannot, you can sit there and say, look, 21 million or infinite. You can, like, anything you can explain the logic of Bitcoin, come, it never fucking lands. Happens. No, they only come back when that happens. When numbers go up, that's the only time they come. Jason has described this to me because I have an infamous story about riding a moped all during the bear market in uh, 1516. And he's described this to me as being on the moped, like you're on the moped, right? So like, you seem like the guy I was in 2015, where I'm in the bar parking lot screaming about monetary policy at the top of my lungs to anybody who will listen. And then I hop on my moped and I'm a little buzz, and I take off. I go, peace out, bitches, right? Like, no one's listening to that guy. You'd have to be an insane person to listen to that guy. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing. Like, we all seem a little crazy, and people have a tough time. Jason pretends like he doesn't own his own Lamborghini. We all have a tough time, you know what I mean? Like, like acting normal in society. And I think it's just like, it's it's time to grow up. It's one of those time to grow up kind of things. You know what I mean? So yeah, and I don't, will, I don't have good success. We will. we will. The next version of Bitcoiners. So this is what I see happening is them actually participating in a big way in consumerism because Hoddle feels it. And I feel it like I woke up this morning and I had this intense need to buy something. It happens every now and then to me, Peter. And the thing I wanted to buy was a helicopter. And I was like, <laughs> I should own a helicopter. It would be so much easier for me to go to Franklinton if I had a helicopter. Then I thought to myself, because some of the ideas start to kind of uh, overlap, I was like, and I'm real worried about security. Like, it's just scary times. I wonder if I could have an attack helicopter. You know, like, could I, could I have please, an armed helicopter? Please like, tell me you got one. Well I'm, just, well, I'm thinking, like, could I actually buy... Like an Apache helicopter. That would be kind of dope like to have an armed helicopter. But when Bitcoiners start to make these purchases, when they're the Russian oligarch vying for the mega yachts, you know, when we're buying all of the Honda jets, when we have the mansions, everyone will yield. This, when the citadels go up, everyone will yield. Right now, they don't understand. They're looking at us and going, do you really have money? You know, you, you're, you're, you look weird. Show up with the stuff. Show up with the stuff. Dude, I I am a... I love what Jason just said. When the citadels go up, all will yield. Like when you... When it's like, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's what it is. It's like Ozymandias shit. When Hoddle walks into Christie's, when Hoddle walks into Christie's (laughs) and buys all of the paintings. No, and I'm not... When he buys all of the paintings, people are going, "What what just happened? Who's that? Bitcoin. Bitcoiners are here. It reminds me of, uh, have you seen Land so of the good. Dead? Yeah, with, uh, what's his face? 
Oh, that's the George the, Romero. But like the, the way George they Romero said, one, yeah. it's so smart that one. The, the way they set it up is like essentially the non-zombies are living in the citadel, and the zombies are the lower class living outside the citadel. And there's like the moat that surrounds it, and you know that's like it sets up as two classes. And you get that beautiful moment where the zombies realize they can walk through the moat. They have that moment where they just like go under the water and they come in and then they attack and they get into the citadel. Like that's that's what you're talking about, Jason. Hopefully they do it by buying well, Bitcoin, not attacking us. See, l- listen, listen. The the citadel is you. Because Bitcoin is property that you can keep in your head, the citadel grows outward from you and changes the world around you. Like I've been doing this thing where I take a picture of uh, the home I live in every year since I had my first home, right? And it's pretty crazy when I put them all together, uh, you know, in a picture edit, you can see reality warping around me. As my mindset has changed, my reality around me continues to warp. And I feel like I'm a fucking like warlock or something. You know what I mean? Like, that sounds really stupid to people who don't understand what I'm talking about. What, I, what I'm saying is like, when you have the like, um, the tool set, when you have the correct mental models, you really can bend reality to your will and you can do things. This is a realm of potentiality that we inhabit. Like we're all going to be fucking dead in 80 years, right? And so you have a short period of time to manifest shit and you need to start manifesting it now, right? Like you need to build your build your citadel, like which can be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be a physical location with turrets or something. Like it's probably really stupid to put up turrets because people could just show up <laughs> You know, be like, we have a warrant. So it's like you live in, you know what I mean? Like, it makes no sense. But uh, <laughs> you need to you need to build your cathedral. You need to like, you know, actually bend reality to your will and make something, leave something behind. Be a person who creates, not just a person who takes. And that that's the Bitcoin ethos. That's what you do with your Bitcoin wealth, you know? Yeah, and I want you all as fast as you can to get to the part of the video game where it's kind of grays out. You know what I'm saying? Where they haven't quite built yet. So whether you you know you, you steal the helicopter or the plane and you fly it out of Grand Theft Auto, but you go to the spot that the game just hasn't made it yet, and you manifest what that world looks like. The do Truman Show. Young. Do it while you're young. Don't do it as an old man. Don't burn through your family. Do it while you're young. Bring your friends with you and have a blast. That's what I'm trying to do. Dude, before totally. this, I uh, I had Will Clemente and Dylan LeClaire on, and their combined age the young is younger guns. than yeah, their combined age is younger than me, which is fucking scary. And uh, they're both uh, definitely smarter than me, which isn't hard, but they like definitely smarter than me, and they got their shit together. Uh, Dylan quit uni. It's like fuck this. This is a waste of time. I've got a certain amount of time to stack as many sats as possible. I need to get on this train, and like he gives me so much hope. Uh, I don't want to patronize or condescend him in any way because he's a smart dude. But like, oh, yeah. just to see a couple of you know, young guys like that going, you know what, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to work hard. And they've done that. They've done the work. They've studied Ray Dalio. They've read all the books they can read. Mm-hmm. Like that. that's cool as fuck. Uh, now he, uh, w- uh, Dylan was one of the guys, like he slid into my DMs like a couple of years ago during the bear market and was like, do you think I should do this? Do you think I should drop out of school? And I was like, fuck yeah, like go for it. And dude, just to see who he is now, mm. he's fucking, he's crushing it. Like he's, these young kids have have life by the balls, right? And they're, not, not more than that, they're escaping nihilism, the nihilism that is sucking in all of their peers. They've escaped it. Like they're over the event horizon onto rational optimism and having a positive life. 
you know, because they well, have a tool at their disposal that allows them to build for the future. And so it's and like a, it's a friends, game changer. Yeah, and while their friends are out getting drunk, getting laid, TikToking, doing whatever, I'm wondering at, why at a second rate at a second rate school too. Like, don't even get me started about like you know what the fuck. But their, their why, friends why are going to be wondering, like, why aren't you coming out? Why are you still working? Or oh, that's my weird Bitcoin friend, yada, yada. In five, ten years, they're going to be like, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, you were right. We were wrong. I think, I think it's well, great it's kind of like the, the, the gap between you and your loser friends at 30, I've experienced this, is just fucking, it's insurmountable, right? Like, it's so large that you could never, and I'm sure by the time you're Jason's age or your age, Peter, like, it's the size of the Grand Canyon. There's just no possible way you could ever traverse it, you know? And so that's, if you make the right decisions, life is all about decisions, man. You make the right decisions when you're young. You know, a lot of people will spend $1,000 on the new iPhone, but they're not going to put $1,000 into Bitcoin. A lot of people will spend 19 hours watching, uh, you know, the newest Netflix series, but they won't spend 19 hours, you know, learning about Bitcoin. Like life is about decisions. So everybody's got the same time in the day. You and Elon Musk have the same time in the day. You and Jeff Bezos have the same time in the day. Like do, do the right things with your time. And you will get the right results. You're going to have a great life, you know? Listen, Jason, we're running out of upload speed again for you, but I don't want to uh, finish without at least shilling your book a little bit. That's cool, man. It's because, like, uh, it, that's not why I came. I, I'm, well, I'm no, no, but I, no, no, this is my choice. Like, uh, I've got a copy. I haven't read it, but it looks cool. Um, yeah, it's and, cool. And it, I'm it works planning... well, like, hold a door open. Like, if you no, need dude. a door or a fucking bug, just smack, you know, you just hit it. No, that's why I, I just I just don't talk. really read read books. I do audio books, so I, I, that's the way I do it. But I'm away on holiday for two weeks from Tuesday, and I'm taking some books with me. I'm going to take yours with me. I'm going to read it. It's on but Audible. Just, it's on Audible too. Oh, it's on Audible. It was it. Yeah. See, I've got the hard copy. I didn't know it was on Audible. But just a couple of yeah. questions. Did you write it, or did you have a ghostwriter? Be honest. Of course, I wrote it. What the hell are you talking about? Spent a fucking know. year doing it. But then you did it so covertly, like it was impressive. Like you just came out one day and said, here, I've done a fucking book. And I was like, wow. Yeah, well, it took planning. And uh, I was in Peru and uh, started working on it there. And then COVID happened. It was just perfect. It was on the bucket list. Well, look, it's impressive work, man. But like, just shill the book. Please just shill it. No, look, I, I wrote a book that um, that my kids would hopefully read, and they did, and would hopefully explain somewhat. Uh, a bit of my life, some monetary policy, how money works, and why I think Bitcoin uh, is uh, is so special. And, and that's really it. Um, it's a culmination of a lot of uh, Twitter banner, and uh, it was very topical. So it recounts uh, what I was experiencing late uh, 2019 through 2020. And uh, uh, I think it's a cool book. You know, hopefully it's one of the, the books that are, that are on everyone's shelf uh, along with the, the rest of the stuff that we've read. Wicked. Well, listen, I'm going to stick it in the show notes. Hopefully people will buy it. Um, like we're, uh, we're running out of time because you're up low speed. Um, I appreciate you coming on, Jason. Uh, this definitely makes the top eight rehab shows that me and Hoddle have made. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, dude. And, uh, I look forward to winning more money off you this season when Liverpool beat Man U again. And uh, yeah, man, thanks wow. for coming on. Any uh, closing comments, Mr. Mr. Hoddle? Uh, no, I just think, uh, you need to think about what you're going to do with your Bitcoin wealth. It's not like, it should be obvious to you, um, that Bitcoin is going to succeed. It is succeeding. It has succeeded and it will continue to succeed. I, I think if you're going to spend time ruminating, 
You need to replace the fiat programming you have in your head that says, I'm going to buy a Lamborghini or I'm going to live like I'm on Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous or like it's an episode of fucking MTV Cribs. And you need to say, what meaningful thing or meaningful impact can I you know, have on the world? And maybe that's just raising a beautiful family and correcting past childhood trauma. That's something that would be amazing too. But like, if you have the the ability and the means to go out and be true risk capital and like actually like fund the things that matter in this life, and that we can get humanity the innovations that we were supposed to have fifty years ago, but we've been in this stagnation since, that's the thing you should fucking do. Do something fucking meaningful with your life. Do something meaningful with your Bitcoin. Okay, thank you. I thought you didn't have anything to say, but they are some great closing comments. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, Jason. Do you want to send us out, man? Anything you want to leave us with? No, I, I love what Hoddle was saying. You know, I think it's really important as Bitcoiners now in this next this next phase of its maturation to figure out what are you going to do with your Bitcoin? How are you going to spend it? Are you going to borrow against it? Um, and uh, and this is about adulting now with your Bitcoin. It's not about screaming about Lambos and you know. Hopefully, you've got a stack, and that stack's going to be worth a lot of money. Uh, what do you do with it? Yeah, good work. I love that. Well, listen, it's in, in devastating for me. We've never actually hung out in person, which is uh, annoying. But I'm well, going to be out in the States from the 24th of August for like six to eight weeks. Uh, I've got plenty of time on my hands. If you're not coming where I'm going, I'm coming to you. I'm coming out in your Lamborghini. Uh, we can go training and uh, we can get up in, in a ring and I'll, I'll fuck you up. Not too badly, just a little bit. But uh, now we'll have a good time. Dude, I'm going to come and see you, man. I want to hang out. Uh, and uh, the football will have started by then. You know what? Let's check the schedule of the Man U Liverpool game. Let's do it right now. And you. Paul, you song? watch uh, soccer? You know what? I actually uh, watched <sighs> a little bit of soccer because you two idiots were both talking about it all the time. And uh, you know what? I found that it is the perfect sport. It has replaced golf for me as the thing to take a midday nap to. So thank you for that. It's been very good. 23rd of October, and I might be in the States. So I'll come yeah, to you. We'll watch Remember, that game, dude. We're yeah, the, the best part about out. taking a nap during soccer is you fall asleep and it's 0-0 zero, zero, and you wake up and it's 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> just doesn't get it, does he? He doesn't understand no, not the all. sophistication not of football. <laughs> You know, I used to play soccer when I was a kid. I was on a club team and everything. It was a strike. You used to play football. Yeah, I did. But it was, it's extremely boring to watch. But I like playing it. I would, get out, on the, I would get out on the field with you, for sure. Do you know what? Do you know why you find it boring to watch? Because you've got a low time hmm. preference. High time preference, you mean. High time preference. You, were tr- you, you attempted to slander uh, me, but you sounded dumb doing and, it. And, it. and I got it completely <laughs> wrong. Do you know what? I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to get this edited in. Oh, you son of a bitch. I know. He can do, do you know this. Why, it's his show. Do you, know, do you know why you hate football? Because <laughs> you're, you're a dick. <laughs> I'm going to leave it all in. I'm going to let my shame run with me. Hey, you see Bitcoin's price went only up while I was talking to you guys, by the way. It's almost 41,000. Yeah. Oh, wow. are we at 41 now? Almost 41,000. Thank did God. See- I'm getting so fucking bored. It's been so boring. <laughs> and did you yeah, see uh, Did you see uh, Lionel Messi's left Barcelona? No. Yep, he's left Barcelona. I've got a news alert here. Lionel Where? Messi leaves Barcelona after club says new can- contract cannot happen. Leaves Barcelona to where? That's the who's going to pay his wages. Basically, he's going to want like a million million pound a week or million euros a week. Well, we who's need a midfielder. We need a midfielder. 
he would struggle in the Premier League because he, I mean, he'll do well, but they'll tackle. kick the shit out of him. Tackle. Yeah, yeah. They'll, just, they'll just nip him up. I think but he'll just so... go, he'll go to the US, I think. You think? Yeah. Nobody's going to pay him that much money in the US, though. I think the way the they can, it's the way LA, the yeah. lifestyle, yeah. the lifestyle yeah. will have it. LA, it'll be amazing. For they they can be yeah. clever with it'll be like structuring contracts. Yeah, it might be like endorsements. He may get there. Yeah, he might get there. All right, guys. Well, listen, look, good to see you both. Huddle, I'll see you in a few weeks. Jason, I'll come and find you October 23rd. We'll watch that game. Love you both. Appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can hit me up on my Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, I only ever want you to do one thing. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Anyway, love you all. Have a great weekend and I will see you all on Monday. 